What's upsetting you, Patricia? What if he can't do these extraordinary things? What if he is just unwell? Like you. Everything extraordinary can be explained away, and yet it is true. I think deep down you know this. Everything we will see and do will have a basis in science, but it will have limits. This is the real world, not a cartoon. And yet some of us don't die from bullets. Some of us can still bend steel. That is not a fantasy. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Hey, Bartek. How are you doing? Good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm very well. It was my birthday recently, so mm. I thought I would treat myself by not watching the podcast movie on that day, but the day beforehand. So. Right on. Right on, I know. it's. I usually have a rule, watch the movie the day before we record, but, you know, I felt like it's my birthday. I could, ha- I could take time off. Sometimes I have that same rule, and sometimes I break it for the reason of just cause. Just cause. Yeah. I got a text from you on my birthday. Some of yeah. it was in Polish, which, of course, makes sense because we are both Polish and we're always spitting. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping as someone who can speak Polish and read it, mm-hmm. um, you, I can't, I don't speak Polish. Um, oh, I see. I know. I know, it's a tragedy of mine, it's a weakness, a flaw, some might say, it's a twist. But you got a Polish blessing. (laughs) I got a Polish blessing and all, but what was your message? Translate it for me, right here on the pod. Um, So if I recall, it was uh, Wszystkiego Najlepszego Comrade. Um, (laughs) The rest of it was in English, so I'm assuming that part is what you were confused about. Yeah, the English Um, part, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Comrade I think means friend. Okay, is that Polish for friend? I don't know if it's friend. I mean, I don't know if it's Polish, but I think it does mean something like friend or partner or, or brother. Wszystkiego um, najlepszego means uh, all the best, and it's a phrase that you would use either on birthdays or on New Year's to, you know, say all the best for your birthday or all the best for the new year. So you not can... at a eulogy, then. Sorry? Not at a eulogy. I wouldn't use that in a Polish eulogy. Yeah, even though even though I've heard that like you know funerals are sort of meant to be like a celebration of someone's life, but they're you know very sad. I remember the last funeral I went to, my grandmother had to specifically tell me not to smile. Okay. So yeah, I don't know if all the best would be something that you would say at a funeral. I mean, would you have been smiling? I don't think I would have. No. Bartek, we're going to do this podcast not smiling. Okay, no smile. I heard a smile. I'm not going to have that. It was a laugh of despair. (laughs) Talking about despair, we're doing our show Pictures Powwow, the show in which we cover a movie that's been recommended. This week, we have a movie that was recommended by Julio over at the Contrarians podcast. He is... Uh, listening people's choice uh, selection. Congratulations, Julio. Um, bravo, bravo, bravo. Uh, this is the ending of Evangelion. Good job, bro. <laughs> no, it's congratulations. 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 Uh, we are doing the 2019 film 
Glass. So, for the listening people, if you have not seen Glass, Split, or Unbreakable, we're going to be talking about the whole trilogy of films, because yes, they are all connected. All of them by our boy M. Night Shyamalan. We will be talking about Glass, but all of them in-depth spoilers, so you've been warned, if you haven't seen these movies, turn off now, go watch them, come back, we're going to be talking about all that stuff. Uh, I will say straight up, Bartek, that I walked into this episode, out of all the episodes we've done, with the most sense of dread, and despair, (laughs) and hatred in my heart, honestly, because I did not want to ever... See, I, I, I never have wanted to... I never wanted to see this movie in my life, Glass. I never wanted I, to see it. I think in our Unbreakable episode, you literally said at the end uh, the one circumstance in which you would watch it, and then those circumstances came true. Yes. <laughs> which were? That you would only do it if someone recommended it for a listening people's choice. My rationale, and I said in that episode, but I'll repeat it for this, is I love I love Unbreakable. I think it's a perfect film. I It's one of my favorites. It's right up there, and I think it's M. Night's most mature, most somber. It's him at his finest. It's him going beyond his finest, in my opinion. It, it, it was refreshing. It offered a take that was unique, and it was a great character piece about David Dunn, and I think the movie accomplished its goal, and I never needed to see any more of those characters or that universe. It was perfectly self-contained, and I just didn't need to see these people again, and M. Night is a crazy man who's kind of gone into weird directions in his career, in which... Something like Split was well made or well done because he wrote that script at his height when he was making great movies. But Glass is one of his scripts that he's been writing in the later part of his career. It's a new script. It's a new thing. So it comes with M. Night's newer style, which to most people, including myself, is not good. It's bad. And I just didn't need to see Glass. I just didn't need to see... uh, the characters from Unbreakable tarnished in my eyes. So I walked into this with a real sense of dread. I watched Split before it as a double, as a double because I have watched Unbreakable recently. I haven't seen Split since it came out. And uh, just to give you my opinion on Split, when I first saw it, it was okay. Rewatched it again, it was slightly better. I enjoyed it a little bit more. I felt it was... Felt it was good. I felt it was a really well-made movie. A bit cheesy. Still, it's littered with M. Night-isms all over the place. Some really bad writing in parts. But some really great stuff in parts. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed Split as well. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of my... Re- and I have not seen Glass until now. So that's my background relationship, history, and feelings. What about you, Bartek? So Unbreakable, we did the episode and I talked about how that was my first viewing and it was one that, you know, you'd built up and you wanted to show it to me and then I watched it. And uh, I remember at the time my feelings were a bit mixed, but when I was thinking back on it, you know, watching these films, I was feeling a bit bit more warm towards it. Like I remember Mm. in the episode, one of my criticisms was that I thought the 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 son's acting was a bit over the top a bit too emotional but when there was Mm. a flashback to one of his scenes in this film glass 
it, it gave me a bit of like a warm feeling of like, oh yeah, maybe maybe he wasn't you know as exaggerated as I thought. Mm. Um, so yeah, Unbreakable I think of with good thoughts. Um, Split was really up my alley. I I enjoy these kind of you know thriller horror psychological films. Mm. Um, like you say, it is a little bit weird at times. Yeah, I'm especially thinking of the M Night scene where he appears and he's talking about Hooters in that movie, and <laughs> yeah. the psychiatrist writing is completely out of character. She speaks like a script, not a character anymore. Very odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In that film, she was kind of the one that I felt like I was leaning into what I was thinking about the kid in Unbreakable, like very mm. emotional. But like with her, I, I kind of bought it a bit more because she is talking about and to. Uh, people that are suffering that are misunderstood, so I could buy it with her mm. a bit better. Also, um, she's an adult. You give a bit a... of a leeway because she's an adult with children, and if they're ever slightly over the top, you kind of harsh... Like, in our brains, we kind of give them a different marking because, oh, well, they're a child. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but but I really enjoyed Split, and I thought James McAvoy was really fun to watch with his, his Split personalities mm. and, you know, being able to jump between them at the drop of a hat yeah, yeah um so split good time and then glass was even though like you said you, your initial impression of split was that it was okay um yeah i was entering split being like okay i've heard this film's not excellent but it sounds interesting and you know mm. i had a good time with that with glass i have heard mostly negative things so mm. while i wasn't dreading it as much since i don't have that same emotional attachment you do to unbreakable there was a part of me being like, mm, I've heard this one's not great, and it is, you know, very firmly in sequel territory, so let's see how it goes. I gotta ask, with Split, how did you feel about how that movie uh, um, wrapped up and joined itself to Unbreakable? Because you knew it was connected, but how did you actually feel when you saw it connect at the end yeah. of that film? Yeah, as the film kept going, I kept wondering, like, how exactly are they going to connect it? Like, are we just going to see him randomly in the street, Bruce Willis? Or, but no, they, they did a lot more directly. Um, Terribly. What was the name of that guy who killed people 15 years ago? He had a weird name. Glass. And then she immediately walks away without saying anything. Well, why would you? <laughs> She got her answer, but like wipes her hands. And obviously connecting stuff with, they mentioned the train incident slightly in splits, and we know Unbreakable was all about him surviving a train accident, so you could kind of connect. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, things. The name, this trilogy has a name. It's like the East Rail 177 or something. Yeah, because of that train. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but how did you feel about how Split connected itself to Unbreakable? Yeah, the... I don't really think it was foreshadowed in any way. So when it happened, even though I was expecting it, it did kind of feel um, obligatory, I guess. If I walk in knowing that, like, oh, one thing that has to happen in this film is that it connects to uh, Unbreakable, it, yeah, it just feels kind of, like, tacked on, like it had to happen in a way. It wasn't yeah, really yeah. connected to the main story other than... I, I guess, you know, that that lady talking about how, like, oh, this new bad guy reminds me of that one bad guy. Well, you've also got James McAvoy has supernatural powers, but he doesn't know it properly. Yes, but, yeah, but for most of that film, you're being given, 
you know information about how how did works and did mm. is a real thing so you're kind of in in this universe's law like oh okay so did people can have different physical abilities uh mental abilities things like that so yeah it is very grounded it's only right at the end that you're like wait so what was what's actually did what's actually superpower well she was arguing in her professional opinion that some cases of did have this supernatural ability where this person's eyes healed up and this person had the ability to lift more weights than they could if they were in the other personality even if their body doesn't physically change and there another psychiatrist says I mean, it's a serious mental illness. It's not like these people just have magic supernatural powers. And she was just like, "Ah, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but kind of is. So Mm. the film did kind of try, and it also had the thing about the train, but it does feel tacked on to me. I think my big issue with Split was it just does feel tacked on. It does kind of feel like, oh, and we're going to connect it. And, um... I never liked that ending of Split. It kind of just feels like they copped out and they were going to be like, we're going to solve it in the next movie. And here we are with Glass. Uh, what did you think? Um, I thought it was okay at times, and then at the end it kind of fell apart. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? I didn't hate it. But I didn't like it. There was nothing I liked about the movie. There was nothing that was great about it. At least with Split, there were great elements in there. At least with Unbreakable, there was great things in there. But this, there was nothing great in there. And I didn't feel any sense of tension at all at any point in the movie. I felt tension during Split. I felt felt tension during Unbreakable. But I didn't feel either of the... I didn't feel anything of that in, in, in... glass what i felt more was me observing it it felt like something i was observing not something i was uh in with i wasn't in the film i was watching it i was looking at it going hmm so this is how you combine the two films together okay like i was observing it but i wasn't fully into the story i wasn't invested yeah i had similar things i but i didn't hate it I thought it was, considering its budget, um, I thought it was a well-made movie for the most part, visually. Uh, M. Night had some creative shots in there. He didn't go too crazy with uh, visual flares either. Like, he didn't go too overboard with the colors. I mm-hmm. thought, when I saw the trailer, I saw this pink room. I went, ugh, that's hideous, and I don't know why. But that was only one scene. And that scene had to be kind of exaggerated because you had the three characters in the one room. But it didn't go as over-the-top visually like he has in other films of his. Also, that's a critique, though. There was some elements that I wish it kind of went visually more so to line up with Split and Unbreakable. Mm. But I didn't hate the movie. and um, But I don't like it it's a bad i think it's a i think it's a bad movie honestly but i was expecting to hate it and i just didn't have that hate in my heart i had it at certain moments there were certain moments oh definitely story choices that i despise and i am very angry about but the film itself no hatred just disapproval Mm. 
What worked about the film for you? Um, well, I really enjoyed James McAvoy in Split, so seeing him again in this film, and I think, for the most part, he gets the most amount of attention throughout the whole thing. Like, there's, I mm. feel like a, a, a splitting point where um, the focus on Bruce Willis completely dies and it shifts to Mr. Glass. Mm. But with James McAvoy as the Horde, or um, Kevin... Uh, I feel like, yeah, he's got a consistent focus throughout it and getting to see more acting from him was, was fun. Um, like you said, there were some shots that were very interesting. Like I remember there was one where um, Joseph, the son, was upside down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one stood out. And I think there was the conversation where Mr. Glass entered uh, the Horde's room the second time. The camera was just like panning around in a circle the whole time. That was really fun, kind of manic, and you got to see James McAvoy switch characters during that, so it just made it feel just a tiny bit more surreal. Mm. Um, so there were some little elements here that that I liked, but similar to the ending of Split, there were a lot of things that felt kind of tacked on, and as you said, you're just kind of observing them, like, oh, okay, there's M. Night Shyamalan revealing that he's the same character in all three films for the little one-scene wonder. Yeah, yeah, Um cool. There are the scenes where oh, the three main characters all have a uh, non-institutionalized counterpart. So they've got mm-hmm. Glass's mum, uh, mm-hmm. David's son, and the girl, the main girl from Split. Yeah. Um, and their role in the film, yeah, it just felt very confused. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if it reached its full potential. Every time they shared the same shot together, it felt like, I guess it felt like seeing the script because like, oh, these three characters, now these three characters are together. They have to be together. They can't, they have their little moments where they stand out, but by the end of the film, they're this trio of completely different characters that feels weird to look at. It's very weird, Vartek. You're usually Mr. Positive, but I asked you what were things that you liked, and you spent two seconds on that, and then you just couldn't help but talk about the things that didn't work, and that's this movie. There's so many <laughs> moments where it's like, oh, look, something's good, and then the movie will go, but let's go over here now. Yeah, everything's got a butt to it, I guess. One of the strengths of Unbreakable is it's a movie that wants you to think. Mm-hmm. One of the weaknesses of glass is it's a movie that doesn't want you to think because if you start thinking about it it falls apart if you think about the logistics of the conceit of the bad guys it all falls apart if you think about it it just doesn't work unbreakable wanted you to think it wanted its characters to think this film thinks it thinks that but it doesn't it doesn't want you to think about well why doesn't james mcavoy just put his hands over his eyes if he doesn't want to get flashed. Why yeah, doesn't he put a pillowcase over his face? Or one of the millions of blankets he was given. But don't think about it. Unbreakable. I, I know you didn't love it as much as I did, but that's one of the things of that movie is it's, sl- it's slow and methodical in how it is approaching this story. It is detached in a way. It is a, it's a very cold movie in, in a lot of ways, but it's doing that for the goal of making the character David Dunn 
realize what he is and to actually think about it. And in so doing, it's making us, the audience, feel that way. This movie doesn't have that at all. Yeah, yeah. Unbreakable has that cleverness to it with you know all these elements working together. And mm. while I don't think Split is as clever, it's got a very consistent tone and focus on its genre, mm-hmm. which makes it a compelling film. And then this film comes along and tries to want to be a blend of both, I guess. Unbreakable, I think it's a very emotional film. I, I get a very emotionally attached to it, but it's a thinking film. Split is far more emotional. Anya Taylor-Joy's character has a very clear through line emotionally from where she begins to where she ends you know the abuse story is very 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 consistent in in that movie so glass i don't feel any emotional attachment to anything other than i know these people from previous films yeah and that's most of the cast is people from previous films but these two previous films, I know who Kevin Wendell Crumb is, and I know who Elijah Price is, I know who David Dunn is. That's that's the only emotion I have is a thing I know. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't want you to think. So it doesn't have the two it doesn't have the strengths of the previous films in its trilogy. And this is the culmination of those two films coming together to one. So what's the point? If you're not gonna have either one. <laughs> at least that's how i feel uh to talk about positives from my end um it was great to see bruce willis at the beginning of the movie have energy it's been a while since i've seen him smile and care and kind of joke around and all of that that Mm. was just at the beginning of the film though um it wasn't great either because the movie shows you flashbacks to Unbreakable and even seeing an image of Bruce Willis in Unbreakable, it's night and day of how much he used to care about mm. his craft. But to give credit where it's due, I enjoyed the opening act of the movie from Bruce Willis's side of it. I was happy to see David Dunn again. I liked his dynamic with his son. I like his son in the movie. It, it, that was a logical progression of who he, that character would grow up to be. He's still got that childish energy about him. He's still got that in awe that his dad is Superman kind of thing. Yep, completely it, agree. It felt like the character. And to talk about other positives, I really like some of the shots. I really liked the, um, although nowhere near as good, but it wasn't trying to be, the water fight sequence with the beast and uh, David inside that tanker and how David punched his way out of there. I actually enjoyed mm-hmm. that sequence. It wasn't as good as the pool sequence, but it's not trying to be the pool sequence and unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, other things I enjoyed in the movie. Um, James McAvoy's good. I don't love his performances though, as much as everybody else because It works in Split, because Split is a very cartoony movie in comparison to Unbreakable. Unbreakable is, what if, in the real world, this absurd thing was true? But Split feels like it's a B-grade movie, like a kind of sleazy thriller, where James McAvoy can do all these things, but I never can buy that James McAvoy's character exists in the same world as David Dunn's character. 
just tonally i just don't believe it yeah the, the connection to unbreakable kind of makes you try to yeah rationalize this as being one world whereas the fact that it was being marketed as like a completely standalone film was to mm. its credit and i like the character i like the performance and it works in that universe and in that movie but when you put it into another movie that is very different tonally and very different in its approach you have to buy one or the other and i buy unbreakable and i don't buy split is split is in the same universe as as unbreakable i i'm sorry i don't get i don't buy it i don't believe it i don't believe that uh elijah price would have the patience to deal with kevin at all he could barely have the patience with David. There were so many times in that movie where he had to restrain himself from just kind of getting annoyed with David Dunn's refusal. And I barely believe that he would I- even have time for, for Kevin at all. Uh, um, but again, trying to say positives, trying to say positives, I liked visually how the film looked um, considering its budget, uh, and considering where M. Night is in his career, uh, Unbreakable had a very drained palette kind of look, a very, very somber look, while, uh, Split had a much more vibrant kind of colourful look, especially its flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And this film married the two together really well, the colour palettes of the two films, kind of, like, bled them into one another really well and i kind of bought visually that it's these two films meeting up visually via the color i bought that and that's kind of really commendable because it could have gone either the film looks like unbreakable or it looks like split but it does look like the two films kind of saturations and colors and hues kind of were bleeding into one another especially when you had sam jackson interacting with the horde you had it feel like those two films' color palettes were kind of just kind of merging together. While when David's stuff by himself, it felt far more visually like Unbreakable did. Um, especially camera movements and framings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Any other positives that you want to speak about? Because you you usually see these far more than I. And like you said, you kind of walked into this with less of a bias than myself. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's like you said. There, are, there are just a lot of a lot of butts on top of everything. Like there was one shot that I thought was interesting, foreshadowing or a, a setup that would lead to something, and it just led to completely nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But positives, yeah. Again, it's just there are there are visual things in this film that work nicely, but then the story behind everything feels messy so you can't think of any other positives mm, I, I guess everything just goes back to visuals like the there was that flashback to when when elijah price was a child on the roller coaster but then again that apparently is deleted scenes from unbreakable so yeah you don't give credit like you can give credit for how they implemented into the film i thought that was implemented well into the film yeah. As was the other deleted scene that we were talking about before with the with his son. I think that's a deleted scene. I don't remember that scene in the movie. Um, the one where he, like... Comes into his bedroom. his lips and says, like, quiet. What was that scene? Oh, no, that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a different scene. Different scene. Yeah. Um, 
I I did like to seeing the same actors in terms of uh, minor ones or ones you wouldn't expect to see, like David's son. It was great to see him again, and I think he was really good in the movie. I was actually really happy with that performance. I thought, wow, I'm I'm I really want to see this guy in roles as an adult because with kid actors, especially ones like him who were cute. And M. Night Kid actors like uh, Haley Joel Osment, they don't get careers as often as adults because they've grown up and they're no longer as cute. But I thought he was great. I genuinely enjoyed his performance. Um, I also enjoyed seeing the, uh, hey, are you jacking off back there guy? The comic book store guy again? It was great that they got him again. Oh, it was the same guy. I was wondering that. And the mother, uh, Elijah Price's mum, even though it is pretty absurd that she's still alive. I mean, because <laughs> it, was, it was pushing it at the end of Unbreakable, but fine, fine. But she's only... Well, Sam Jackson's five years older than her in real mm-hmm. life. So it was really funny to see her in this really old lady makeup, which I didn't buy. But it was good that they got her again, because I'm always championing being a champion of that in, in TVs and movies. Like, get these actors again, you know? Like, don't recast them if you don't need to. And I, I enjoyed seeing her again, but uh, I... That's it. Like, uh, that's the movie, like, in terms of positives. Uh, just to talk about Split and how it connects to Split, um, mm-hmm. what did you think of the decision... Of having Anya Taylor Joy's character Casey in this movie, and how it can like, how did you feel about her inclusion in this story, and did it uh, flow through nicely with where her character ended up and her arc from Split? It did feel a little bit weird to have her back. Like, obviously, she had her whole thing at the end of Split where um, she could empathize with the Horde, and the Horde saw her as pure, that's, you know, his little code, so his code determines that, you know, he cannot Mm. hurt this girl, um, so they do have an emotional connection, and by that, I guess you could justify having her, um, Mm. yeah, and similar to what we were saying about the son and Glass's mum, she just feels like she's serving the same purpose she doesn't feel like she's as complete a character like maybe right at the end when the horde is being killed off you know they've got a little reunion scene um but that scene also comes very shortly after what was already kind of a reunion scene with her and kevin so Mm. it feels like they're treading a lot of the same water with her without really developing her too much yeah I, again, the phrase, didn't buy it. I think it undid her arc from the previous movie because her arc at the end was to stand up to her abuser, kind of, like that's a part of her story, is this experience has uh, given her an insight into where she's at. And at the end of that movie, you know, she's going to get her uncle taken away. You know, she's going to speak up about her, her abuse because of this situation. and I She's do- taken down her abductor, now she'll take down the big presence in her life. And I don't know how to feel about a girl who's been abused all of her life, her character arc is finally saying no to abuse, then in the sequel is, let's just say it, in love with an abuser. Because he abused her. He killed her friends. He is a murderer. He's a serial killer of women, especially teenage girls. 
Um, I just don't think it's a great story. Like, I don't think it's a great thing for her character. I think it kind of undoes her her story, and it... I don't know, it's kind of... I, I don't know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Do you see what I'm talking about? It kind of feels like yeah. she's just found another abuser to attach herself to. Yeah, and you can't... I feel like you can't even really make the argument that the one she's in love with is, like, the good... one of the good personalities, because... Through these two films, I think that personality has only appeared like three or four times, so it's not even really a well-developed character. It's just a character that people talk about, not really someone that like really is in control of the body that we are seeing. Yeah. So it is weird for a story reason and on a visual level. I just think it undoes her journey from Split. And I, I don't love Split, but... It does feel like it undoes her, and it does make her feel, instead of being, instead of making her character stronger in another in another film, because her character is weak in the first film, but also sensible and smarter than the other girls, and then eventually she becomes strong, instead of making her stronger in this film and exploring her deeper, she's weaker because she's in love with the crazy guy. She's the emotional anchor for the beast. It just makes her, as I've said many times, the girl. She's just the girl. That's all she's reduced mm-hmm. to in this film. The girl who loves being abused, kind of. That's kind of what I'm saying, is she was abused, she took down her abuser, and now she's attaching herself to another abuser. But the film doesn't touch upon that. That's just what I'm getting from it, because I've seen Split. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but attach that. And I gotta ask you the big question uh, from for for carrying this over from Split um, in Glass. Did you feel bad for Kevin? Did you feel for him? Did you feel sorry for him? Did you like him? Did you like? Did you feel for him in this movie? Because he dies at the end. They all die. Mm-hmm. But did you feel for Kevin? You know, weirdly enough, not really. Like. I enjoyed seeing the character, you know, the actor perform the character. Um, I did want a bit more from that ending, but seeing him die, yeah, despite all that, I didn't really care all that much, I guess. But did you did you care about him? Did you sympathize, feel empathy for him in Split? I did. I did. I, I thought that this guy actually really is suffering and... Mm. And the the illness that he has is working against him, against his uh, need to be protected, to be healed. And and the the split personalities want that, but they're you know they're crazy, they're they're evil. Yeah. Um. So this is a character who is suffering and doesn't even know what's happening a lot of the time because he doesn't even realize that two years have passed until he asks. So yeah. yeah, there is there is a lot of emotion around the character, but somehow I guess Glass just put him aside until they needed him for a few scenes, and then he dies. I think it works in Split because he's not the main character; he's the antagonist. But our main character is a normal person. She, you know, Casey. We see it through her perspective. We understand him because we understand her. Mm-hmm. We see her flashbacks. We see her understanding of abuse. 
and it mirrors and reflects upon what Kevin is about. So we feel for Kevin because we feel for Casey. Even if you don't like Casey, you do like her in, in a way because she is the reason we like Kevin. Because really, Kevin is just uh, like boo-hoo. He has, you know, he got abused by his mum and now he's killing, like now he's literally eating girls. Like, you know, like, I don't actually feel sorry for him as strongly, but I do because I understand who Casey is. And because I understand who she is, I understand who he is. But since she's not a presence that's a main character in this movie, in Glass, he is stuck in an asylum with a villain and David Dunn, who thinks of Kevin as nothing but a monster... I don't feel for Kevin in this movie because Kevin is a monster. He's literally serial killing. Like he's he's just killing girls left and right. And he's been getting away with it since the previous film. So I don't feel sorry for him when he gets shot in the belly at the end because he was literally roaring and throwing a police car in the air and like all that stuff. I don't care about him in the way that the film Split made me care. And I think Glass kind of relied on the power of that film to make me care in this film. But this is its own movie as well. Like, this film has to do the legwork. Glass has to do the legwork. And I just didn't feel feel it. Well, what I meant specifically was that I felt sorry for the Kevin personality. But, like, the Beast overall, like, no, I, I didn't care. Well, no, but they're all the same person. Like, I understood what you were saying. I'm just, like, speaking about the fact of... You know, Kevin Wendell Crumb, the film kind of, this film, Glass, feels more like a sequel to Split than it does Unbreakable. I agree. But it doesn't focus on the characters or the ideas from that film enough and expands upon them enough where when those characters' journeys happen in this film, I just, I didn't buy it, I didn't care for it, and I just didn't I just wasn't invested at any point. Um, eh, split, you know. But did you buy the conceit of Glass of they're in this asylum and the film is doing a reverse of Unbreakable where in Unbreakable, um, Elijah's trying to convince him he's a superhero, but in this movie, they're trying to convince him he's not a superhero. Did you buy the conceit of the movie? So that conceit was something that I was aware of before I walked into the film, and I think it's basically all I knew about the film uh, since we first mentioned it like a few months ago. Um, and just the whole time I was thinking to myself, you know, I've I've seen Unbreakable, I've seen that it's all true, like he survived the, tr the train crash, um, we see, you know, how water affects him differently. I don't know that this film that I've already seen and that many people have seen many times for 19 years can really be questioned that strongly. And then Split comes along um, and it has its own thing, which some of it is rooted in, you know, medicine and, mm. and science. Um, so when this film came along, I walked in basically thinking, like, I'm not going to buy it. I, I don't think it's really going to work. And it wasn't as ineffective as i was expecting but one thing that i wasn't expecting was that the that main scene that we all know the the shot of them sitting in the pink room mm. um which was a lot more brief than i thought it was going to be mm -hmm. um after that scene 
David and the Horde are both, you know, questioning whether they actually have powers or not. Mm. And I felt like that part I couldn't really buy that much. I feel like mm. they would have been more strong-willed about, you know, their beliefs. Especially, you know, David, he's had 19 years and the Horde has, you know, these fundamental beliefs um, that were really unshakable in Split. So that part I couldn't buy, I guess. The fact that they were kind of quick to uh, consider the idea. I Another reason I didn't want to see this film is I didn't buy the central conceit. The idea of, of Glass, I didn't buy it because that's the whole point of Unbreakable is you have a person who doesn't believe wholeheartedly doesn't believe in this and the film spends the entire runtime breaking down meticulously to this character who is a representation of us because we live in the real world we don't believe superheroes are real why he is a superhero that film's whole entire thing is breaking down bit by bit why he is a superhero and I just could never buy the conceit of Glass because Unbreakable exists. Unbreakable exists. It showed wholeheartedly that he is a superhero. And I just could never buy the idea of, oh, and then they're going to try and convince not only the characters, but us, the audience, that it isn't real. Uh, No, because I've seen Unbreakable. Unbreakable went out of its way to show us it's real. Treat it like this is the real world, a grounded take on if superheroes are real. And I was never going to buy The Conceit of Glass because I've seen that movie and I love that movie and I buy into that movie storytelling. And so this film didn't work in that general conceit. And so because it didn't work in that conceit, I did question why this movie even exists. Um, throughout the entire watching of it is because I wasn't invested, because I wasn't buying this idea of these characters coming together in the way that it was. I was just thinking to myself, why why is this even here? Why does this film need to exist? And I'll talk about why it exists a bit later on, but I just... I, I agree wholeheartedly. They didn't spend enough time on breaking the characters' mental states down. It was literally one session. And David Dunn started questioning it. While in the other movie, it took, like, days upon weeks for him to believe that he's a superhero. And Yeah, and, and his line in that, in that scene, you're, you're creating a, like, chain of thought that didn't happen. Like, mm. I felt like that was a really definitive well-executed line that yeah. would perfectly encapsulate like oh it's not going to work on this guy so when that line was you know completely defied it, it felt weird yeah i it's just when you start thinking about it like i did i was thinking about it uh, i then questioned immediately off the bat well she must be evil then because why is it three days Why are they doing it like this? Why is it... Like, I just questioned it from the very beginning. So the twist that they are a league of people who are trying to suppress the knowledge. Okay, I didn't get that straight away, but I knew that she was false. I never believed that she was genuine because I don't believe the conceit is a genuine one from the beginning. So then I'm asking myself, well, why is it here in the movie? 
oh, because so just, of this. Just for just for clarification, we're talking about the nurse character. Uh, the psychiatrist. The doctor. Yeah, the psychiatrist. Yeah, the only real woman in the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't buy Sarah Paulson's character. I, I because Unbreakable exists. It went out of its way. It, it was it was precise in breaking it down. So when this film comes along and the idea is this person's trying to convince them and I don't believe the reasonings as to why, I look at her and go, well, from a storytelling perspective, why would M. Night do this? Oh, it's because this character must be evil and a liar. And then the film proved that I was right. Yeah, at first she came across really, like, overly emotional and, like, because we 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 bought that this was a real superhero world, we weren't going to buy into the conceit. We we saw her as, you know, misguided or whatever. Um, but I guess one thing that I wasn't expecting was that her methodology throughout the film is straight up, like, gaslighting. Mm. Um, so it does lead into the idea that, like, okay, she's being manipulative. So you didn't see the twist coming, is that what you're saying? That she was um, bad and that she was gaslighting them and that she was lying? I guess if I would have... I guess I'd say that I thought she was misguided, didn't necessarily think she was evil. Definitely thought she was an antagonist, but didn't know about evil. Mm. So when it happened, it was like, okay, yeah, so there, there was an ill intent going on. Mm-hmm. I guess ne- I wasn't necessarily con- seeing a conspiracy coming, but I did know she was the antagonist. Yeah, I... See, I, yeah, I saw all of it kind of coming, not necessarily the, all the details that he put there, because I didn't, I, I didn't think it was going to be that stupid, because I think the <laughs> ending's really stupid. Um, but I looked at her and I said, you wouldn't hire Sarah Paulson for a start if she wasn't going to be somewhat antagonistic, because she's just kind of that kind of character, she's that character actress type. You wouldn't even have this film existing in the real, like in the same world, unless there's a bigger story at play, which would be that she's a liar. The film kind of even foreshadows this when the son goes to the comic book store and he finds in the villain section that uh, comic book. That whis- whisper something? Yeah. Whisper man? Whisper man, right? And it's like whispering into the things. And so then that's what she's doing, right? She's kind of whispering into them, letting them think things that aren't true. And, I don't know, is this what you wanted to see as a follow-up to Unbreakable or Split? Is this what you wanted to see? Was Is that a rhetorical question? Uh, no, seriously, is this what you wanted to see? Like, I'm pitching to you, I'm M. Night. Okay, I'm going to make a follow-up to Split and Unbreakable. And the pitch is, they're in a mental asylum... And it's Sarah Paulson trying to convince them that they're not superheroes. Now, you've seen Unbreakable, and you've seen Split. Is that what you wanted to see as a follow-up? No, I buy that they, I buy that they have superpowers. Yeah! Yeah! I don't, think, I don't think anything within those two films necessarily foreshadowed the idea that they don't. And- so anything in this film that says, like, oh, they don't, would be something that's added in in this film. And, like... Again, the therapy meeting, the the consultation, they the the main evidence she points out is this one interaction that happened at the beginning of this film uh, could explain why you are you know not a superhero. Why does this film exist then? To fulfill Emma Knight's vision. What is that though? 
I don't know. I've got my eyes. But seriously, like, why is this here? Because you just nailed, like, you just nailed it. It's as simple as you just can't buy that they aren't superheroes because the other two films exist. So why is this here? Why did he make this? What is this? Yeah, you know, it's really weird because Split, again, was a film that was marketed as being a standalone thing and you didn't know that it was connected to Unbreakable until the very end. And then when you look up stuff about it online, the majority of the material about it is about how it's connected to Unbreakable and then later Glass. So it almost kind of destroys what that film was and just narrows it down to a you know, a middle point of a trilogy. And mm. and I guess it just kind of... It's trying to build towards a unified identity, despite the fact that these first two films are so standalone. And, yeah, it's really weird seeing this film try to find a meeting point. Yeah. What would you have wanted as a follow-up? though like if you had to what would you want and I, I, like what is there to do what could you do like what would you actually want to see on screen um i don't know about what i'd want but <laughs> i guess <laughs> do we want to go with an uh would we want the follow-up film to also be something that plays around with um you know, story and narrative conventions? Would we want it to be a more straightforward film, but, like, still focusing on characters? Like, yeah, I, I remember one of the criticisms I heard of this film, I think it was in the uh, I Hate Everything video on superhero films that was released a couple of months ago. He was talking about how this film, uh, you know, is released 19 years after Unbreakable, and we've already had, like, you know, the... Marvel Cinematic Universe Renaissance, and it feels like a film that shouldn't exist mm. within this period of time because of everything that's happened since Unbreakable. Yeah, and I don't, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that point, mm. but there is this kind of idea of like, okay, well, what, what do you want to do now? Do you want to, I guess, make a statement about superhero films that have come recently, like mm. you know. There's a lot of criticism about Marvel Cinematic Universe, how it's, you know, very generalized. It's the big thing. It's not, it's the biggest thing people are looking forward to, not so much indie films or, or mm. big, big films made that are standalone. Um, so maybe it could, could have been an angle like that if you still wanted to, you know, make a statement about the genre. But yeah, I, I don't know what I would have wanted. I can tell if you. I, if I had my way. I can yeah? tell you what I want. Mm -hmm. The other two films, you know what they were? They, oh, this one's a superhero film, and this one's a horror film. What they actually were were character piece films. They were about mm -hmm. characters. That's what I wanted. I wanted a character piece film. I haven't seen David Dunn in almost 20 years. I haven't seen Elijah Price in almost 20 years. This film fails at being a character piece because who's the main character? Who's the one we emotionally invest ourselves in? Who's the one whose journey gets fulfilled the best? Who do we care about? No one. 
No one. You don't care about Elijah Price because he doesn't speak for an hour of the movie. And when he does, he's nothing but a villain. And if you've seen Glass, I mean, if you've seen Unbreakable, that makes sense somewhat, but it does kind of remove the greatness of that character because he is just a villain in this. Mm-hmm. Split. You've seen Split. Um, but he wasn't the main character in Split. She was, like I've said. So mm-hmm. you want to see David Dunn's story, right? It makes so much sense to me. I haven't seen David Dunn in 20 years. He was the anchor of Unbreakable. And we spend the first act of the movie with David, so you think it's going to be about him, but then he just leaves the movie, kind of. Yeah, I feel like as soon as Glass starts speaking, we don't see David until very late in. It's so simple to me. Focus on the character of David Dunn, or focus on Elijah Price. Have the Horde in there. Have David Dunn in there. But focus on this. The film introduces that David Dunn's wife has died in the interim, which, you know, kind of wipes its ass all over the depth of Unbreakable, in my opinion. I don't know if the actress just didn't want to come back or whatever, but it does kind of undercut a lot of the stuff of Unbreakable, because that was a movie about him trying to save his marriage. Okay, she's dead. Make the movie about that. Make the movie about him having not come to terms with her death, and how maybe he's going overboard with him being a vigilante. Maybe have have something. But the film is just a spectacle movie. And Split and Unbreakable weren't about the spectacle. They were about the character involved. Mm-hmm. And Glass just doesn't get that. It just doesn't... Under- it thinks it's about the spectacle. It thinks that people love Unbreakable so much. It's a cult film. It was a financial failure. It's a film that most people haven't seen, honestly. And the people who have seen it either love it or either hate it. Like I mentioned in our episode, my sister hates Unbreakable. And I love it. But he treats it like, oh, Unbreakable. It's a- He treats it like it is Batman. He treats it like it is Superman. He treats it as if it is this really beloved film, which it is in a way, but it's not actually as loved as it this film thinks it is. Yeah, I guess after Split, it probably would have introduced itself to a lot of people since it's so you know strongly tied. But at the time, probably not as much. It, it just makes so much sense to me. You're going to do a follow-up to Unbreakable, which I don't think you needed to do. I, I've said that. If you're going to do that, show us those characters again. Mm-hmm. Have the Horde in there, but show us those characters. And the film didn't want to do that. Like, tell me why David Dunn isn't the main character in this movie. Like, why isn't he? What was the choice there? Again, yeah, I don't know. After, obviously, he was, he was an uncredited role in Split, but it did give this sense of like, oh, okay, We're seeing him, a little glimpse of him here at the end of Split, and now we're going to have Glass, where we're going to see a lot of him. And I don't know if we can honestly say that he was in 50% of the film. Why? I just don't understand what happened, M. Night. (laughs) Like, why did you write it this way? Did Bruce Willis not want to do it? I don't know what happened. The trivia said that that he signed on without reading the script, so (sighs) it feels really weird. I there's just so many creative choices I don't understand. Like, why is the film okay? If you're going to make the film about how she breaks him down psychologically, why is it only in one scene? Why isn't it the whole movie? 
Because it's literally one scene that she does it. Yeah. She she spends more time convincing the the other three <laughs> characters in their one-on-one sessions. Yeah. I <sighs> And I'll ask you this. I know you you don't have a long history with Unbreakable and definitely mm-hmm. not Split, but did you want to see those characters die? Oh god, when that scene happened, I just could not stop thinking about you watching the scene. Because again, I know your connection, you how much you love Unbreakable, and seeing that scene, I'm like, oh god, this is not something that Ryan would have wanted. I don't think the, they didn't. Again, Bruce Willis, he didn't really have all that much going on in the film, and in the climax, he had a bit more going on, but and and not not just not even just what happens to them but the tone of the movie after it happens mhm just everything working together to give you this feeling of why did any of that just happen i mean yeah before it's... we even get to the actual ending thing like any death in the movie makes no sense like why is there only one guard on patrol why is there only one orderly on patrol in this maximum security psychiatric hospital that's for people with supernatural abilities? Because Sam Jackson wouldn't be able to roll around and do his thing. He wouldn't be able to if there was yeah. an actual security. And they've got millions of cameras, and sure, Sam Jackson can hack them and do this, but why is there so few people there? Because it's a cheaper movie, but also because, don't think about it, we need the movie to happen. And Yeah, and even in the... Even in the climax, when they're out in the car park area, there are many police officers on like the mm. perimeter of the area, but a lot of character uh, interactions are happening in the middle mm-hmm. that you'd think the police would be suppressing. Like For most of it, I was kind of like, oh, they are kind of doing things. But when we got to the point where um, the, the girl from Split was talking to the Horde just before he got shot you know, right up there with the serial killer, I was like, okay, come on, something's got to give. And obviously it was leading up to an assassination, but again, I was thinking during that sequence. (laughs) Like, again, I think I'll give positives. I like the scene where Mr. Glass slit that guy's throat. I felt it was a bit cheesy how it was executed, but I liked the idea because they had set up the picture frames in his room before. And the guy commenting, Mm -hmm. hey, that one's kind of crooked. I was like, oh, okay. And then Sam Jackson being like, it, it was a bitch to find the right kind of piece. And just seeing the, the stack of broken glass that he was going through to use, that was fun. But Man, that's clever. why did no one check on this guy? He has a walkie-talkie on him. Like, I don't... Because don't think about it. And then the other guy who gets killed by the Horde, they set him up as the evil, you know, guy on the ward who abuses Sam Jackson. But the film was too pussy as well, to actually show him do that. They just, you know, had him with the torch scene, but that was it. But here's an example. You've seen Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. You remember the orderly in that one? Who's, who yeah, she really? fucks up real good? <laughs> Sarah mm-hmm. Connor, the one who, like, licks her face while she's strapped down? Yes, I do remember that. See, that film also had a minimum security thing, but that film went out of its way in, like, what was it, a 20-minute segment of that film, of breaking out of there and how difficult it was to do that. This film is supposed to be even more maximum than that place was. And Sam Jackson can just roll around and replace things and do whatever he wants. And 
all the deaths in the movie mean nothing. Like, all of them are... And yeah, you're right. Did I want to see David Dunn get drowned in a mud puddle? No. Did anyone? Did anyone want to see that? Nope, I can't. I can't see any poignancy to it. His character was, you know, in, in Unbreakable... He's a quiet guy. He's a very emotionally internal. He internalizes a lot of things, and his journey in that movie is is really well done, in my opinion. And uh, you know, at the end, he's nearly cr- he's crying because he discovers that someone he thought of as a friend was was the villain all along, and it's a great punch. And he has to do the right thing, and speak up about him. Great ending. Makes sense. The water was a metaphor for, you know, we said this, it's his weakness because he's drowning in his life at that point. You know, he's drowning in responsibilities and lack thereof as well. In this, they thought, oh, water, yeah, that was his physical weakness. So we can just drown him. Did the water relate to anything in this movie like it did in Unbreakable? No. It's just they... It's like M. Night forgot that he made Unbreakable. And just heard about it, and it was like, oh, yeah, right. I don't... I think it's one of the most disrespectful endings I've ever seen to a character. It's like Mm -hmm. it was made by someone who hates the characters. Yeah, again, I don't have the strong emotional connection to Unbreakable that you do, but even I was like, this is not right. Did you believe it? Like, like I thought it was a joke. I was like, okay, but when's he gonna wake up, right? Yeah, when, when, or when? How's he gonna get out of this? Or it's, it's, it's a puddle. <laughs> it's not even, it's not even a lake or, or a huge body of water. He's being held down by a f- person whose face we haven't even seen. By someone we don't know, even. By someone we don't know. We know, we know his tattoo. They all have it. Mm-hmm. The tattoo that's established right then and there. Yeah, and then it's supposed to be like poignant. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen a character, their ending, be so disrespectful to the character. It really does feel like it was written and made by someone who who just hated David Dunn. And they were just like, how can I do this character dirty? I, I remember a few years ago... Um... I was talking to some friends and I made a joke about like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there was like a Rocky sequel where Rocky's like slips on a banana peel and that kills him? Mm. Feels, I don't know, that feels, it feels like the equivalent of that kind of. Has there ever been a more disrespectful ending to a character than this? Honestly? Um, I don't think so. I think this is like the most fucking disrespectful fucking slap in the face I've ever seen as gonna, an ending uh, to a character. I was going to say, we talk about character betrayals a lot, like back in Lady in the Water, the film critic, but yeah, this one had a lot more build-up to it. 20 years, almost. 20 years yeah. of build-up. And and they don't. he doesn't even understand how Elijah's bones work. Like, mm. Elijah falls out of his wheelchair onto his knees, right? You saw that. And you hear yeah. his legs break. He's, he wasn't, like, I know his bones were fragile, but they weren't that much. Like, he fell, like, less than 30 centimeters off the ground. You know, I don't know. I just didn't buy that either. Like, I know he got punched, but, like, he fell out of his wheelchair really lightly, too. And you just heard, like, excruciating cracks. And I'm like, I just 
don't think that's what his bones were like when we saw him last. Like, remember when he fell down the stairs? That made yeah. sense for him breaking his bones. But that thing with the wheelchair, it's kind of like, well, how did he ever walk by that logic? Like, it seems like that kind of level of, like, sensitivity of bones... Yeah, I mean, the the sounds and the visuals kind of did, you know, make me cringe, like, oh, he's getting hurt, but when you think about it, it is kind of, it feels weird that it happened also, because he, he got punched, right? How did he fall out of the wheelchair again? I think he got he got punched, and then, like, I, I can't remember, he just... Did he, did he try to just get up and he slipped Yeah, or yeah, and, it, it, like, the whole torch scene, too, is like, I'm going to drop this torch on your legs, and I'm like... Would that have broken his legs in the other film? I don't think so. I don't know. It might hurt, yeah, it might hurt him, but now that you mention it, I don't know if it would damage him. Because again, as it, that scene where he fell down the stairs in Unbreakable is very memorable, and I kind of have to remember that even that he he survived. And he didn't break every bone in his body in that movie either. Like he his spine was still fine. He, he, he like that one broke his leg. He was in the chair, but like. I guess he. I guess he does look a bit more frail in this film. But that's but an that's act. Still, that's sorry? an act. He's pretending yeah. to be that. That's the point. So I don't know. Like I was okay with him dying, right? Because he's the bad guy. But at the same time, like, is that what I want to see after Unbreakable? No, not really. But okay, I understand that he dies. He's the villain. But why did he make it a suicide mission? Like, it didn't need to be a suicide mission, but he made it that way. Why? Yeah, I guess one of the things that was in my mind was that back in Split, there was that whole thing with um, Kevin and his personalities about how, you know, the world is going to know that we exist. Mm. And somehow in this film, that idea carried over, but towards, I guess, the idea of superheroes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because and and it's only really because this one character is antagonizing these three characters who have mm-hmm. you know superpowers of some sort, so it almost feels like they lifted that sentiment from Split and tried to say this is the exact same thing, and and the big reveal to it at the end is that like this the psychiatrist is part of an organization that is all about suppressing that knowledge, and. And the, if we call the ending bittersweet, the sweet aspect is meant to be that this thing that we just learnt about has been thwarted. It's also sweet in the sense that Elijah got what he wanted, which was validation about his beliefs. Because he did believe that comic books are based on something real in the real world and that heroes are out there. That's why he did all of his horrible crimes, was to mm-hmm. pursue the truth of that. And he finally found someone who was the, you know, who was like him. He was trying to justify his existence. And it made sense in Unbreakable because we also liked Elijah. But you don't like him in this, so it's not sweet because the bitter thing is a terrorist won at the end of the day. Yeah, and no matter how you spin it, I really don't think that David Dunn, Bruce Willis' character, would really care about any of that. So... So the fact that he dies the way he dies and something that he didn't care about was fulfilled still doesn't mean really anything if you attach yourself to that character. And even seeing his son, like, 
feel triumphant in that, like, you know, the information's out there. I guess you could buy it a little bit more mm. because he's not his dad and he, he's got this identity for his dad that's now being elevated. But if you're if you're in Bruce Willis's shoes, his character's shoes, this ending feels kind of like they're avoiding the fact that it's a bad ending. Yeah, yeah. Or a sad ending. The the film thinks it's uplifting because oh, here we go. They find out about it, it's an origin story as Sam Jackson says. It's an origin story. Because it's an origin like he they said the original Superman, he couldn't fly, he could only flip a car and that's where it all started, you know. And then at the end of this, the beast flips a cop car, you know. And Mm-hmm. And and this is going to be the kicking off point, like in the comics, where this is going to kick everything off, and there's going to be the acknowledgement and the celebration and love of these metahumans, of these superhumans. And it's supposed to be uplifting in that regard of, although our characters died, they died so that people can be free, uh, that, that, that the world can be knowing the truth. And these three characters, the, 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 the ones that are left over, their loved ones are going to be, you know, the ones who propel this forward, and they're going to be satisfied that the world knows. But it all came it all came from a supervillain. A supervillain. Like, that's what Mr. Glass was. He's a villain. It all, came across, it all came to being because a villain made it happen. Mm. And the film doesn't acknowledge it like that. Yet, he's been nothing but a villain the whole movie. If this was more in line with Unbreakable, you would understand it. Because at the end of Unbreakable, I felt bad for Elijah, even though he had committed all these crimes. I felt sorry for him. When he says at the end of that movie, the kids, they used to call me Mr. Glass. You feel bad for him because you know he's gone off the deep end. He's completely lost it. And you know from Sam Jackson's performance that this was a guy who had been tortured physically and emotionally all of his life. But at the end of this movie, you, a terrorist has won. But they're treating it like how uplifting that is. Isn't that uplifting? Yeah. He straight up murdered two people in front of him. Oh, I mean, the Horde did one of them, but he was taunting them. Yeah. Like, he's a psychopath. <laughs> and like you said, from David Don's perspective, it doesn't match up. But he's dead. He drowned in a, in a mud yeah. puddle. What, what, a mud puddle. Yeah, I mean, but, but he doesn't matter. He, his archetype was superhero. Those those aren't characters that we care about. The character who's labeled hero, we, we don't have to worry about him. <sighs> the ending was garbage. It's <laughs> It wasn't, like... The Beast was scary in Split, right? You found him intimidating, mm-hmm. but in this, when you see him in broad daylight and he's running on all fours and he's roaring, it wasn't scary, right? No, it wasn't scary, but it was it was amusing, I guess. It was amusing. It was very, very funny. Like, I like mm. the idea that they just have, like, uh, their, their big showdown in the car park. I like that idea. Like, it doesn't actually go to the tower. They don't actually do the big superhero thing. I like all of that, but... The secret organization that when everyone leaves, when people leave the restaurant, they close the curtains and now they can have a meeting. That was so dumb. And then her stating her role in the organization to the people in the organization who already know. But don't think about it. That's for us, the audience, to know. Very Mm. lazy handling of exposition. And I thought the performances were... Like, from our main crew of people, like, James McAvoy excluded, but I thought they were terrible. 
Sam Jackson felt too over the top cartoony. I didn't be- I I just didn't believe that was Elijah. Mm. You saw Unbreakable only recently. Did that feel like the logical progression of who that guy was? It didn't feel awful, but it did feel a little less clever. Yeah. And what happened to Bruce Willis? Like, what happened to him? Remember when he was, like, the most charming... Remember when he was Chris Pratt? Like, charming, affable, you know, jokey, kind of blue-collar guy who managed to be an A-listing actor that we all liked? Where did he go? I really don't know, yeah, because he was always someone that I was aware of but hadn't seen too much. You know, I'd seen him in Pulp Fiction, um... Uh, Die Hard's one of the big franchises that's just escaped me. I haven't mm. watched any of them. But, um, you know, when we did Cop Out and we were learning all about, you know, Kevin Smith's relationship with Bruce Willis, he idolized him and then mm. he met him and became an example of Don't Meet Your Heroes. Mm. And you learn all these stories about him and then you hear about films that he's done recently mm. um, where he just doesn't seem to care. I remember when we did Unbreakable. Mm. Again, even though it wasn't my favorite film one of the big refreshing things was just seeing him actually try and it was really great and when i heard obviously this is a 2019 film it's in this period where it seems like he doesn't care and he just seems a bit tired um but when i read that trivia point of like you know he signed on to do this film without reading the script it sounded like you know there was an enthusiasm there and and again the beginning of this film we did have a little bit of that yeah but then the rest of the film doesn't give us enough of him and when we do see him it feels very like understated Uh, and not in the same way as the other movie because he's very understated in in unbreakable and i think he said that unbreakable is one of his favorite films that he's done and i've said i think it's his best on-screen performance i i I think Mm. that's bruce willis's best performance but there was a serious emotional through line underneath the understated performance like you saw that he was suffering throughout that entire movie he oh, for sure but he plays it very calm very very low and he does that in this movie but there's no emotion to it at all and not just because of his performance but because the character has nothing oh his wife died but they don't focus on it they focused in unbreakable about his marriage they had scenes between him and the wife they had scenes between him and the kid they had so many things relating to that but in this He's just like, oh, well, he had a dead... His wife died, and that's kind of... Like, we're just going to mention that, and we're going to show a brief flashback of her her from behind so we didn't have to get the same actress again. Mm. And we're going to show you... How did it feel seeing the reused footage and or deleted scenes from Unbreakable just be put into this movie? Did you like it? Did it actually work? Or did it kind of take you out? Because it took me out of the movie more often than not. Um, again, the one where he put his finger to his lips and his, for his son to indicate like, oh, don't tell anyone that part I did enjoy Mm. because like I said earlier, it kind of made me rethink about that, the child character in Unbreakable. Mm. Um, I guess on the, I I don't know, was the train scene when you saw Kevin's father, was that? Was that filmed for this film? Yeah, I think it was blended together because obviously we see the sequence where he's on the train, Bruce Willis. Yeah. Um, 
I guess the the end of that shot where we saw him through the seats, I thought that was a neat little callback. Mm. Um, what other what other shots were there that were reused? Um, they just had like some of the things of like oh, reused or deleted. Like you know, they had the the carousel thing. They also had the shots of the mum giving Elijah the comic book and being like, "This is you know this type of comic book and." Mm. Just stuff like that. It just took me out because also visually, Unbreakable has such a distinct look to it that this film doesn't even have. Like it just that 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 sequence, the opening of Unbreakable and the train and the seats and whatever, it showed you like what a meticulous filmmaker M Night used to be, mm. and that this film does not have. As as great as some shots are, they're far and few between. It wasn't the most visually stunning or meticulous or well-crafted of his films. It was just average um, in terms of, like, his camera work. But, yeah, I I remember the... Go on. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember the scene where, um, where when when David and the Horde were first shown their rooms and they were getting an explanation from the psychiatrist, the... The editing in that scene, like, it, it was doing, like, a shot-reverse-shot thing, but it kept cutting between the two interactions. Yeah, the intercutting, just, yeah. I guess it, maybe it was trying to go for a jarring effect, but it was too jarring for me. I didn't mind that, but my wife Rachel agrees with you. She found it too jarring. I, I, I understood what he was doing there. I like the shot where they saw each other through the open doors. When That was the shot I was talking about earlier that I thought was going to set up to something but didn't go anywhere. But I did like the shot. I like the shot. It just set up that he was aware that they were both aware that they were in the same place. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that I was interpreting from that was that and the fact that they're so close to each other. So if one of them were to, you know, get out of their room or escape, they would know where the other was. But that wasn't really a factor because when they meet again, it's outside. Well, David tries to break out, but we don't see it on screen. Um, we just see him get drenched in water, and then and then he's like, "Ah, I had to try and get him because he's got no guards, and I need to sort him out." That's the payoff to that, Bartek. What a great payoff! Yeah, off-screen thing. <sighs> I. Uh, what else is there to say? Like anything else from <laughs> Glass you want to mention? Like from the actual movie? Like anything? Like. The ending is terrible. It's garbage. Um, I don't know. What What do you want to say about it? Anything? I, I honestly don't know what, what what's left. Yeah, it just... It's a film that tried to be a sequel to two films at the same time that were completely different and it created a messy two-hour, eight-minute product. It feels like an exercise. An exercise of... Okay, Bartek, you've written a bunch of things. Now, can you connect this thing that you wrote and that thing you wrote and put them in the same world? Of course there's going to be things that connect through because you wrote them. Like, M. Night has a distinct thing. He explores certain themes and ideas. He has certain visual cues. He has certain storytelling mechanisms that are universally across his body of work. So, of course, there's going to be things that match up between the two films. But it does just feel like an exercise of connect these things together. It doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like an exercise on M. Night's part of, can I connect two things into one? 
And speaking of connections, yeah, most of the films in this middle portion of the... Sorry, most of the scenes in this middle portion of the film did kind of feel disconnected themselves. Mm. Like, okay, here's a scene where this happens, now a scene where this happens, now a scene where this happens, and maybe there are pieces in there to a larger story, but it just feels very haphazard and random. Yeah, I think it's an exercise in futility, honestly. Like, Unbreakable and Split great movies in their own rights made by the same person sure have similar things in common sure but they're both going for very different things in very different ways and it's not necessarily that you can't combine these things together but the the question is like we've been saying and i've been saying why what's the point and it doesn't stand very clearly to me what the point is like there are certain things like when we did Twin Peaks The Return or when we did um, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me very different to what the original Twin Peaks was but it was very clear why David Lynch made those. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very obvious and it was very clear why he made them in the way he made them. Even if you don't like those things and I completely understand those are very divisive things. Very clear to me why though why he made these. M. Night, it doesn't feel clear, other than people have been really liking Unbreakable, people like Split, and superhero movies are big, and I think he just wanted to test himself. I think he was just like, can I do this? And maybe he should have just left it as a writing exercise on his computer on the weekend. Mm. Yeah, I know that um, there was a whole thing in all the trivia and materials about the the trilogy that um the first film was owned by one company and split Mm. was uh, owned by another company and that there was like a stipulation that if a sequel were to ever happen uh the first company would have to be involved with it and i part of me wants to look at that and say like oh it was an obligation but then i think most of the things say that m night Shyamalan was actually planning on doing this third film so it's it's it really leads back to the idea that M. Night had a vision and we just don't really see it. But M. Night had this vision after he was good, right? There's a distinct... There's distinct eras of M. Night. He he came up with Split as an idea and wrote most of it, from my understanding, when he was at the height, right? And then he just kind of shelved it. And Yeah, early 2000s, I think. Yeah, when he was at his height. And then... He made it, and he realized that people really like Unbreakable, so he put Unbreakable involved with it. And then he's followed through on this whole idea series, and his thought process on following through on it during his later part of his career when he's making stuff like The Visit or like uh, The Happening, like his shittier part of his career after Earth. And... We've also asked what happened to M. Night, and there's lots of things that give you examples of what happened to him, but uh, it's just, it is, it's like they're two different people. The people, whoever it was that made The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable is a very different man to who made The Visit and The Happening. Lady in the Water. And Lady in the Water. They're different pe- it's like they are different people. Um... And that person, the the one who doesn't understand things, is the one who made Glass. Although I said I didn't hate this movie, it is 
I think out of all the movies we've done on the, on our entire podcast, including the mystery box, it's one of the ones that's made me the most apathetic and or depressed. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. And it's weird because I still don't hate it. I think it's just because I felt so much apathy towards it. I felt, although it was just over two hours, I felt that its runtime was well paced. I didn't feel like it was as agonizingly slow as it could have been, considering what it is. But, and I, and there wasn't anything so atrociously done that it made me ball up in anger, except for the character endings. And that's the end of the film. Ah. All this film needed was Pop Pop Guy who wants his satellite in Deep Rescue. All it needed was a popcorn song, like in Snowman. <laughs> All right, yes. And Sam Jackson's wheeling around in his wheelchair around the corridors. I don't think there's anything else more to say about Glass other than I don't recommend it. I think I would have been happier if I lived in a world in which I never saw this movie. Will it tarnish my reviewing uh, when I when I rewatch Unbreakable? One hundred percent, yes. As great as Unbreakable is, M Knight has tarnished it exactly like how I worried he would, and exactly like how I thought, uh, exactly like I knew he would. Um, and Unbreakable is still a perfect movie to me, but now I know that David Dunn's character doesn't matter. That Elijah Price is no longer a complex character with nuances. He's just a villain with nothing else. I regret having seen Glass. I will no longer watch... uh, I will never watch Split again. Now having seen Glass as well. Um, Although I think it's okay and I enjoyed it more in the second viewing... Um, I'll never want to watch it again, now having seen Glass. So Glass fails in that regard of making me want to revisit the previous films, because now I no longer want to watch Split ever again in my life. And Unbreakable, I fear watching it now, uh, because I know that there will be a sorrow there that um, that film didn't... You're saying it's broken. Yeah. Um, I still think it's perfect, but there is now a, in retrospect tarnishment it's thanks m night uh i you know now i understand how people have so much venom for m night because i've never had a hatred for m night i didn't like his version of avatar sure but uh i didn't feel as much hatred for it i i I didn't like the happening i didn't like after like there's many things of his i haven't liked like i i hate the village but this I understand why people have such hatred for M. Night, because he ruins things. And he's, yep, you know, he's ruined uh, Unbreakable. I'm still going to enjoy Unbreakable, but he has ruined it. He ruined his masterpiece. There's always going to be an asterisk next to it now. When I watch it and I see Bruce Willis giving his best performance, I'll just remember he drowns in a mud puddle. By a faceless guy. And it means nothing, and it was a decision made for no reason. (sighs) This Mm. was an exercise of futility, and it was joyless. That's the great word to describe this. This is a joyless film. But they were so happy at the end. Yeah. Uh, Your wrap-up thoughts? Um, It's equally as complicated as yours. wasn't a great film, so I don't really recommend it that much. 
Radio, uh, recommendation for next episode, Barzak. Um, we're going to do an equally joyless film uh, from 2006 called Idiocracy. Ah. <laughs> and to tie something back, when we did the Terminator episode and I said that I was uh, thinking between two films, Idiocracy was the other film. <laughs> okay, very, very similar films. Yes. I um, So, listening people, we're going to be taking a break, though. Uh, we're just going to be off for uh, two, three weeks, uh, just needing to have a detox, a step back. Glass made us so depressed that we have to take time off. No, not really, but we'll be back in three weeks' time with Bartek's film of choice. Yeah, end of September, I think it is. Yep. So, then we'll be moving into spooky month. So uh, you have a few weeks to catch up and watch Idiocracy, and uh, that'll be a fun experience. I haven't seen Idiocracy in a little in quite some time, actually. It's been one of those ones it's I haven't watched years. in a while. Yeah, it's a few years for me. Uh, Bartek, uh, always good to be podcasting with you, even with films like Glass. Um, Julio from the Contrarians, make sure to check out that podcast. And Julio, um, I hate you. Never recommend a podcast. Never recommend a movie ever again. I despise your existence now. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm not. That's contrary to well, you, well, you said not. Never mind. I said not. Not. <laughs> Next episode, Borat. No. Um. <laughs> I was actually thinking of Borat, but I picked Idiocracy. <laughs> Very similar movies. All of these movies are similar because they're all made with with cameras. But <laughs> uh, listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. Spit and Polish Presents. You will find us on there very, very easily. Just type that in. We make uh, extra posts and comments and links to things, and just furthering our discussion on the film and getting your 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 takes. It's always good to engage with you. Uh, you can also email us at uh, spitandpolished at gmail.com uh, and you can email us with your your your, th- uh, your your thoughts, questions, concerns and recommendations for movies because it's not just Julio that can recommend things, that you can as well. All of that is in the uh, description of this episode in case you need to find those links and everything. Uh, and, uh, that's it, Bartek. Um, yeah. what was the stupidest part of the movie for you? Like, like, M. Night always has, like, a funny bad moment in the movies. In, in, mm-hmm. what was the worst, what was the greatest example of that for you? Um, I don't know about greatest, but when Split Girl brought up the whole Superman thing when in his first issue, it felt very out of nowhere to me, and I didn't really see the connection. Uh, mine, mine was, oh, dude, you gotta get that vitamin D in you. It's all about the vitamin D. You gotta be, you been drinking water? <laughs> Not enough. Oh, man, you gotta be drinking water, dude. It's really vital. That whole thing? <laughs> Fuck me, am I? It was good advice, though. It was good at... The Superman thing was just silly. The Superman thing was silly, but hey, as long as you're not jacking off back there to the anime stuff... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ryan, you have to drink water, and I think that's what Bruce Willis was doing at the end of the film. 